as you know, we've been, I mentioned earlier too, we're studying uh, a series called Discovering Your Shape. Discovering how God has uniquely shaped you for his glory, others good, and your joy. And that shape involves uh, a handful of different things. In fact, shape is an acronym. Can you help me out with it? Do you remember what's the S? Spiritual gifts. And H is your heart. In other words, your passions, things you're excited about, the, the passions God's put within you. Uh, P or A, excuse me, is, I learned how to spell, A is your abilities. Maybe that's not one of my abilities. A is your abilities, right? What are are your natural talents? What are you good at? Uh, P is personality. How has God uniquely wired you and the way you interact with other people? That's going to affect your shape. It's part of your shape and how he would have you serve and his design for you. And then your experiences, both good and bad. We all have them. We all have really good experiences in our past. We all have really painful ones in our past. And God uses those in, in the ways that he shapes us like a potter with clay to make us into the person he desires us to be, to do the things he desires us to do, to fulfill, like we've talked about, your unique personal purpose. Now that's underneath the arc of God's overarching purpose of uh, make disciples and, and love God and love others, right? But he's sending you in a specific direction to do that. And so my desire for you is that we would, each of us individually, discover our shape, discover what then maybe God would have us do in light of that, maybe what he would have us stop doing in light of that, and and get involved in ministry, and and serve God for his glory and others' good. And the the end result is, is we get joy in that, and it's a great thing. Well, last week we began with the S and we began with spiritual gifts and I gave you a big intro, just an overview of spiritual gifts. And I told you when we come back next week, we're going to start diving into what all the spiritual gifts are. Well, as the week went on, I decided that I'm going to do something different. So we will do that, but I, I didn't intend to lie to you, but I guess I did. Here's a definition of spiritual gifts. Let's get this back on the table again here as we get started. Spiritual gifts are a set of God-given and spirit-empowered spiritual abilities given to every believer according to God's grace to help them fulfill their God-given personal purpose as part of the body. I have a question for you. Why are they called spiritual? Do you, do you remember last week when we looked at the name, the primary name for spiritual gifts in Scripture is charisma or uh, charismata is the plural of it, spiritual gifts. And, and when you break that word out in the Greek, really what you have is grace, charis, gracious gifts. These are gracious gifts. They're given to us by God uh, as, a mean, as, a, as part of his grace and as a way to, to show his grace to others. Yet they they get this term spiritual all the time. Why aren't they called the gracious gifts? Well, I think for a couple reasons. One, there is another word sometimes that's used to describe them that does describe them in in the Greek as a spiritual gift. But I think primarily is the reason that uh, the Holy Spirit is the one who empowers them. And, And they affect, they have spiritual effects. They're empowered by the Holy Spirit and They have spiritual effects. So like I said, my original plan was to just dive in this week and start plowing through some of the main passages that discuss spiritual gifts in Scripture. And the more I got into it, the more I thought, you know what? If if we don't understand who the Holy Spirit is, the one who empowers these gifts and who gives these gifts, then our understanding of the way these gifts ought to be used and exercised could be way out of whack. As the Evangelical Free Church, our church is is like most free churches. It's kind of a melting pot of people from all different backgrounds. 
And each of us have probably different backgrounds, even in what we've been taught about the Holy Spirit. And so because of that, I want to make sure we're on the same page. And uh, it's presumptuous to think that I could teach you everything there is to know about the Holy Spirit in 45 minutes. If, if I did, that would be an incredible work of the Spirit, but that's not going to happen, right? And, uh, but I hope to hit on some of the main points. It's going to be kind of like a, a really quick theology class this morning. And we're going to look at the theology of the Holy Spirit. Because if you don't understand who the Holy Spirit is, your understanding of how these gifts play out could be uh, way out in left field. It'd be kind of like putting a regular DVD, or a, a Blu-ray DVD into a regular DVD player. It's just not going to work. Or, or AA batteries into a, a toy that needs D batteries. It's not going to work. Or maybe more, a better illustration, if you go to India and you plug your hair dryer into 220 electricity. We had that experience. And it just fries it. Because you're, you're working with a different presumption of what's going to happen. We need to know who the Spirit is behind these gifts. So that's the title of the message this morning, Knowing the Spirit Behind Spiritual Gifts. So I'm going to pray. And uh, then we're going to dive into uh, a little sistio this morning. Sound good? All right, a few of you nodded. I'll take it. Let's pray. Father, thanks for Jesus, and uh, thanks for your grace to us. Thank you, too, uh, for your spirit. Uh, Jesus, you promised that, that when you left, you would send a helper to us. That, uh, in fact, you leaving physically would be better for us, which is it's hard for us to comprehend sometimes and had to be incredibly hard for the original disciples to comprehend. To go from being with you day by day, seeing your face physically, interacting with you, talking to you, uh, to, to something better. Um, but yet that's the truth. That it is better for us that we have the Holy Spirit. We can, we can each experience you in a unique way through the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes to live and dwell within each of us. Father, I, I pray that as I teach, um, that, that you would uh, teach me. Um, help me to communicate uh, who your spirit is, who the Holy Spirit is uh, with clarity. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to and through me as well, um, that we would uh, learn uh, to look to you and learn to depend on you and learn to, to really live the truth that Jesus taught, that, that it truly is better for us uh, to have you than to have Jesus here right now at this time walking on the earth because you indwell each of us. And you uh, desire to do incredible things through all of us. So teach us that this morning. Teach us about your nature. Teach us about who you are. I pray against the enemy and the ways that he might distort that and take your word and twist it and accuse us or um, just misinform us. Instead, uh, speak truth to us. And as we sing, do what you want to. Change us. Father, we love you. Uh, we pray all these things uh, in the name of your son, Jesus, our Savior. Amen. So the Holy Spirit, first off, we're going to start with the person of the Holy Spirit, okay? In other words, who is he? Who is he? Who is the Holy Spirit? Well, a handful of things come to mind as, as I start to think about this. And um, maybe you, you can jot some of these down. If not, I can make some of my notes available to you this week. Maybe we can send them out via email or I'll put them on the website if it would be helpful for you. Um, but the Bible speaks of the Holy Spirit as God in various places. Uh, number one, the Holy Spirit is God. Who is he? He's God. 100%, totally, fully, completely God. 
Now, unfortunately, sometimes when we think of the Spirit, because the Spirit works through, uh, through us and, and exalts the Son in all that He does and is, is, is sent uh, to accomplish the Father's will, sometimes we see Him as subordinate to the other two members of the Trinity. And we think, that, you know, there's the Father, there's the Son, and there's the Holy Spirit. Like it's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And, and it's not that way at all. The, the Bible uh, refers to the Holy Spirit. Writers of Scripture refer to Him interchangeably. As, as, a fully, uh, as fully God, as fully part of the Godhead. Uh, here's a couple examples. Acts 5. Have you heard of Ananias and Sapphira? Ananias and Sapphira were married. And uh, in Acts 5, uh, you get to the beginning of the church in the first part of Acts. And, and everybody's selling all their stuff and giving it away to support the church. And Ananias decided to sell some of his property. And it said he sold it, and then he took the money, and he laid it at the elders' feet to give to the church to distribute to whoever was in need. But it says with his wife's knowledge, he actually kept some back. He didn't give all of it. Now, I don't know that it was necessarily a sin that he didn't give all of it, but it was probably the fact that he implied that he gave all of it. That, that he had, in his gift, implied, here's everything I've got. But he had really just kept a little bit in his back pocket for himself. Maybe he even gave the majority of it away. I'm not sure. The Bible doesn't really tell us. But what it does say, Peter said, Ananias, after this happened, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You haven't lied to man, but to God. Notice in verse 3, he said, why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? In verse 4, he says, why have you? He says, you have lied to God. He's equating the Holy Spirit with God. Peter does there with Ananias and Sapphira. Uh, the same thing happens later with Paul in one of his benedictions. He, he gives a... a um, or in his benedictions, but also in his discussion of the body in 1 Corinthians 3 and 1 Corinthians 6. In 1 Corinthians 3, he says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? Later in, verse, in chapter 6, he says, Do you not know that your body is a temple, almost the exact same language, but instead of a temple of God, he says a temple of the Holy Spirit. And Paul equates the Holy Spirit with God. The person of the Holy Spirit is God. He, he possesses all the attributes of God. In other words, he's fully God. He's not just like kind of partially God. He's not like just, you know, like, um, like almost God or, or like JV God. He, he's fully God. He's not the minor leagues, okay? For example, here's some of the attributes he possesses. He possesses omniscience. Do you know what omniscience is? If you do, you, maybe you're omniscient because omniscient means all-knowing. Omniscient means that, that he knows everything. There's nothing that he doesn't know. Uh, in, in John 16, 13, Jesus says, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. He will declare to you the things that are to come, implying that he knows all things. Uh, uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2 that, that no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit. Why? Because the Spirit knows all things. He's omniscient. He's also omnipotent or all-powerful. He's all-powerful. Uh, in, in Luke, um, the angel comes to Mary. You remember what, Mary, what, what the angel says to Mary? It's Luke chapter 1. The Holy Spirit, he says, will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. 
And here in this construction, he's equating the power of the Most High with the power of the Holy Spirit. He's saying the Holy Spirit has this power. The Holy Spirit is the one who will, who will, who will give the Messiah uh, through you. Paul says that everything that he did was by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Romans 15, he says, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. And Jesus tells us that it's the Holy Spirit who's powerful to change people. He says, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And and he says later, and other places in Scripture teach us that the Holy Spirit is the one who changes our hearts. Have you ever tried to change something about yourself? You ever tried to change some of your behavior or your nature or certain things? And it's incredibly hard, isn't it? In fact, sometimes you would say, that's impossible to do. Yet who can do that? The Holy Spirit can. The Holy Spirit is all-powerful. Nothing is impossible for him. He's all-powerful. He's also eternal. The Holy Spirit has always existed. You're like, I don't understand that. I know. Because we're finite. He's not. We're confined in the the confines of time. He's outside of time. He's always existed. Think about it. If you really understood that, would he even be God? What kind of God would you want that you totally understood in that way? He's bigger. He's greater. He's eternal. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 9.14 calls him the eternal spirit. In Genesis 1, we see that he was present and participated in creation. The second verse of the whole Bible. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. A couple other things about the Holy Spirit and his deity, him being God, is he wrote Scripture. When you're, if, if you're flipping around to some of these passages, we don't have them all on the screen this morning. Um, but, but if you were to, or if you flip through them later, you're jotting them down. You know who wrote that? Yeah, it was humans who wrote it, but it was by the, the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit that they wrote it. Ultimately, the Holy Spirit is the author of that book in your hand. Second Timothy 3.16, Paul says, All scripture is breathed out by God. And profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Peter tells us, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along or borne along by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit spoke through them. He used their personalities. You know what? He used their shape even to write scripture. The Holy Spirit does that. The Holy Spirit, as I mentioned earlier, he's counted in equal relationship with the Father and the Son. Jesus tells us to go baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and who else? Holy Spirit. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're, they're all equal. Paul, in one, in, in one of his benedictions in 2 Corinthians, he says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. The whole trinity is right there. He, he's counted equal with the Father and the Son. Same, Peter does the same thing in 1 Peter 1. And this leads us into the fact that the Holy Spirit, not only is he God, but the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person, loved ones. He's a person. Now, this is really important because oftentimes when we think of the Holy Spirit, I'm guilty of this too. We, we can tend to think of him as an it, And we can tend to think of him as a force or as a power. When in reality, no, 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 he's he's not. He he, he is forceful. He is powerful. 
but he is a person. I know that's hard to get your mind around, but he's around, but he's a person. Uh, he possesses all the attributes of personhood. Well, how do I know this? Well, for one, when he's referred to in Scripture, the Holy Spirit is given a masculine pronoun. Like, wow, grammar even today. This is intense. A masculine pronoun. Now, the word for spirit in Greek is the word pneuma. It's kind of fun to say if you want to say it. Pneuma, right? And, and pneuma is just by itself, it's a neuter word. It has no uh, gender to it. And, and so when you would think that as you're reading this and you read about the Spirit of God, you would think then when a pronoun is used in its place, you know, the Spirit did this and it, whatever, it would use a, neuter, uh, a neutral pronoun without gender, it. But you know what it uses? It uses a masculine pronoun. It says, it, it refers to the Spirit as he or it refers to his possessions as his, refers to him as him, refers to him as who, not it, but, but it's per, he's a person. He's a person. Now, as a person, he, he carries with it, with that, all the attributes of personhood. Um, in other words, he can be grieved when we sin. The Holy Spirit can be grieved. He has emotion. You ever thought about that? That that when you sin, when I sin, the Bible teaches this, but how often do you really think about that? That it's grieving the Holy Spirit. Not making him, uh, sure, I'm sure he's furious with our sin, but but not making him angry, but grieving him is is the term that's used in Scripture. Parents, how many of you, when, you're, when your child does something just incredibly stupid, it grieves your heart? You know what that's like to watch them. When we sin, it says the Holy Spirit is grieved. Why? Because we're the children of God. He's a person. Ephesians 4.30 is the reference for that. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Uh, not only this, but as a person, he has knowledge. He has knowledge. He knows stuff. Now, some of you, you've, you've been taught all of this multiple times before, right? But it's a good refresher for you to remember that the Holy Spirit's grieved and the Holy Spirit knows things. First uh, Corinthians 2, 1 through 11 talks about that, about the knowledge Paul talks about of the Spirit. He knew what was going on with Ananias and Sapphira. That's why when they lied to him, it was so stupid. He already knew. He knows what's going on in your mind right now. He knows what's going on in your life. He knows what's going on in your heart. And because of that, he can be lied to. He can be lied to just like any other person. That's what Ananias and Sapphira did. They lied to the Spirit. Have you ever lied to the Spirit? Probably. <laughs> we probably have. In ways that we've rejected him or grieved him. Another thing, he can, the Bible tells us he can pray. Romans 8 tells us that, that the person of the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Romans eight twenty six and 27. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is, in the, knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Not only can he pray, but I would contend that he can be prayed to. Uh, some, 
and some of you may disagree with me on this, and that's okay. I'm not going to fight you over it. Um, but, but some would say that, no, we're to, we're to pray uh, to the Father, through the Son, in the Spirit. But I, I, don't, I don't know that I necessarily see a problem with praying uh, to the Holy Spirit. Obviously, there's examples of praying to the Father in Scripture. There's also examples of praying to Jesus. Stephen, when he was stoned, uh, called out, uh, the Lord Jesus, uh, take my spirit. That's not the exact words, but you know what I'm saying. When he's getting stoned, he, he cries out to Jesus. And, and, and Paul tells us that in 1 Corinthians 1, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son. In other words, we have fellowship with Jesus Christ. We have communion with him. We have friendship with him. We have unity with him. Paul also later talks about the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. So someone else with whom we have fellowship and communion and friendship and unity. And uh, this debatable whether or not there's any examples of someone praying to the Spirit in Scripture. I, I don't know that it's necessarily a wrong thing. Now, if you disagree with me with that, that's okay. Um, I, I'm, again, we're gonna, that's, that goes in the open hand, right? We're going to fight over that. But, but that's my opinion from God's word, that it is okay to pray to the Spirit because he's a person of the Trinity. He's fully God. Uh, not only this, he can teach and guide as a person. Jesus calls him the helper or the paraclete, the one who come, that's the Greek word, the one who comes alongside, the advocate, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things, Jesus says, and bring to your remembrance everything that I've said to you. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, Jesus says, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. In other words, he'll honor Jesus. So we've, we've spoken briefly of the personhood of the Holy Spirit, of who he is. He's God. He's a person. One thing I didn't really get into, but he's a member of the Trinity. Uh, I'm not going to dive into the doctrine of the Trinity this morning, but, but know that we believe that that. that because he's a person, because he is God, he's, he's fully God, and he's, he's fully a part of the Trinity. One God, three persons. Uh, but now let's move a little bit over to what the Holy Spirit does. We've, ex- we, we've explored a little bit of who he is. So now what does he do? What are the works of the Holy Spirit? Uh, there's a lot of ways we could go about this in terms of a structure, but I thought maybe one of the best ones for us is just to use our statement of faith. And uh, our statement of faith reads like this on the Holy Spirit and the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. It says that we believe that the Holy Spirit, in all that he does, glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ. He convicts the world of its guilt. He regenerates sinners. And in him they are baptized into union with Christ and adopted as heirs in the family of God. He also indwells, illuminates, guides, equips, and empowers believers for Christ-like living and service. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to take our doctrine, our doctrinal statement on the Holy Spirit, and we're going to use that as our guide here as we teach on what the Holy Spirit does. Okay? We'll move quickly through this, though. Uh, number one, the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus in all that he does. That's the biggest thing to understand, that, that the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus Christ. If you see something that's claimed to be uh, done in the name of the Holy Spirit or by the power of the Holy Spirit, and it doesn't bring glory to Jesus, uh, I would commend to you it is not the Holy Spirit. It might be a spirit, but it's not the Holy Spirit. And that's why it's really dangerous. 
Anything the Holy Spirit does, we just read, Jesus says he doesn't speak on his own authority, but what he's told, he, he does things that, that would honor, because he's fully God, he can't deny himself. He's going to honor each other member of the Trinity, and he's going to honor Jesus Christ, and he, he's not going to contradict himself. And he's, if it doesn't honor Jesus Christ, it's not the Holy Spirit. The primary role of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus in all that he does. In fact, Paul says, therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says that Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians twelve three. Number two, the Holy Spirit, everything he does glorifies Jesus, and the Holy Spirit convicts the world of its sin and guilt. The Holy Spirit convicts us of our guilt of sin before a holy God. Have you become a Christian? Why did you become a Christian? If, if you've become a Christian, you're truly a follower of Jesus Christ. You know what's happened? Let me give you just a quick overview of what's happened, okay? Obviously, Jesus died for your sins on the cross. He lived a perfect life that no one else could live. He, he lived up to the standard that God set forth for us, that all of us fail at, that we all fall short of. And because we all fall short, we all deserve death. We all deserve punishment in hell for eternity for our sin. Yet Jesus Christ paid that penalty for us on the cross. He didn't sin, but yet he paid the penalty for sin. And in paying that penalty for sin, he offers a gift exchange to take our sin, to take our filth, to take our life, and instead to give us his righteousness and his purity and his life so that we would have life eternal. And that he would take the punch for us on the cross of God's wrath. And that we're no longer children or objects of God's wrath, but his children now, in knowing that truth, some people hear that and they go, oh, yeah, that's a good fairy tale. Other people hear it. If you're a Christian, you hear it and you heard that at one point. Maybe you're hearing it now for the first time and you go, you know what? Yeah, that's true. I am sinful. I am messed up. I, I have rebelled against a holy and perfect God. I deserve nothing but his wrath because of my sin. He's given me so much grace just in the fact that I'm taking in breath today. And I deserve his wrath. And if that's the case, if you feel that, if you sense that and understand that, you know what that is? That's the Holy Spirit convicting you of your sin. That's not Josh being manipulative. I have no power to convict you. I have no power to save you. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. And if you've become a Christian and you've come to that point of repentance, the Bible calls it a place of turning. That's what repentance means. You've come to that place. The Holy Spirit is the one who, who put that ache in your heart, who, who, who kind of twisted the knife in a sense to, for you to feel that guilt and convict you of your sin. That's not me. The Holy Spirit does that. He's done that in me. And then he's also done this because of responding to his conviction. See, Jesus is the one who says, the Holy Spirit convicts us of our guilt for sin before a holy God in John 16. But not only this, the Holy Spirit regenerates sinners. He regenerates us. After you're convicted of your sin, you're, you're left with a choice. What do I do in being convicted of my sin? Do I just ignore that and go on with life or do I turn? Do I repent? Do, do I turn to Jesus in saving faith and recognize that, that I need a Savior, that I, need, that I have no hope on my own? And when I do that, the Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit enacts that transaction, right? 
He, he transfers Jesus' righteousness to your account and your filth and your sin to his account that he paid fully on the cross. And there's no more a debt to sin for you because it's been paid by Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit then regenerates you and makes you new. And and he takes all of the the grace that's given to you on the cross in Jesus Christ and and he apportions it to you. He, He gives it to you. He regenerates you. He makes you new. You guys, when you're thinking regeneration over here, right? You're probably thinking Halo or something like that. Or Call of Duty. Yeah, regenerated. What'd you get? What'd you get when you got regenerated? You got a what? A new life. When the Holy Spirit regenerates you, you get a new life, right? You're brand new. The Holy Spirit does that. I can't do that. You can't do that. The Holy Spirit does that. Jesus says in John 3, 3, Truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That the Holy Spirit is the one who changes us. There's a whole list of scriptures there. I'll let you look up on your own. Number four, though, uh, believers are baptized then into union with Christ by the Holy Spirit. Baptized into union with Christ. What do we mean by that? Well, baptized, when we think baptized, a lot of times the first thing we think of is, is water, right? And dunking somebody in the tank. Pulling them out, they're shivering, gasping for air if they took a breath at the wrong time. That's what we think of a lot of times when I think of baptism, right? You know what the, whole, you know what the Greek word for baptize is? It's a Greek word, it's called baptizo, and it just means to immerse. To immerse. In other words, to be immersed in being identified with Jesus Christ. It's, it's a way that, uh, physically speaking, we identify with a spiritual reality that's happened in our heart. And and there's a physical baptism where we're baptized to identify outwardly what's happened inwardly, physically what's happened spiritually. But the Bible also speaks of a spiritual baptism, a spiritual immersion where the Holy Spirit, at the moment you trust Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes fully into your life and indwells you. That, That at the moment you trust Jesus Christ, you're also baptized with the Holy Spirit. Some would teach that there's a second baptism of the Holy Spirit. I I, I don't see that in Scripture as a normative thing. Uh, We would would hold to the the fact that that the moment you become a Christian, you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And and by that, then you're, you're identified with, you have union with Jesus Christ and with his church. Um. Number five, believers are baptized into union with Christ by the Holy Spirit and they're adopted. These two things go hand in hand, adopted as heirs into the family of God. We're we're talking about a whole bunch of things that happen all at once, right? After the Holy Spirit convicts you, when you respond in saving faith, he regenerates you. you're, You're baptized with the Spirit and you're adopted into God's family, Paul says in Ephesians that before that adoption, you're, you're an object of his wrath. But after that, now you're adopted as his child. You have full legal rights as a child of God. Last Sunday, we had parent-child dedication. We had Sherry and Stephen up here, and we had uh, Aaron and Jandy with, with Ty, whom they have adopted. And Stephen and Sherry with their daughter, Charlotte. Charlotte has full legal rights being born into their family, right? She's fully their daughter. But you know what? Ty, being adopted, has the exact same rights being adopted and drawn into, grafted into their family because of the adoption that his parents offered to him. 
And, and legally, he's fully theirs. And there's no difference in the eyes of the law between somebody who was born physically to them and, and Ty being adopted by them. In the eyes of, of God, because if you're in Christ, there's no difference. You're, you're fully in Christ. Jesus counts you as his brother or his sister. And you're part of his family. You're a child of God now. All, all that work is accomplished, loved ones, by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who convicts you, but then also regenerates you and baptizes you and adopts you. He's the one who does the transaction. A good way to think of it is like a caterpillar. You ever think about a caterpillar? You weren't expecting that one, were you? You ever think about a caterpillar? Caterpillar is walking around one day and uh, he's, he's crawling on twigs and eating bugs, whatever caterpillars do, I don't know. Crawling through the dirt all of a sudden, he lays down for a nap. He's pretty tired. He's been eating a lot of whatever he eats. And he's tired. He lays down. And after a long nap, all of a sudden, he wakes up. Before he took a nap, his whole world was down within you know, a half inch of the ground. And maybe once in a while, crawling up a twig or a branch or something. But otherwise, everything was right just, just down here in the dirt. He falls asleep. However long later, he wakes up, and when he wakes up, what's happened? He's not a caterpillar anymore. He's something totally different. He's new. He's sprouted wings. And he busts out, and, and he has new abilities. He has new gifts. He has, he's, he's totally new. He's been, he's been regenerated, and now he can fly. And he's a butterfly. And... That's what, that's what the Holy Spirit does, loved ones, in us when we trust Jesus Christ. We're regenerated. We're made new. We're baptized by the Spirit. We're adopted into God's family. The Holy Spirit is the one who does that. And then after becoming a Christian, what he does is he helps us honor Jesus. And that's where we're going with spiritual gifts. That's where we're going over the next however many weeks. The Holy Spirit is the one who helps us honor Jesus. That's why Jesus said, it's better for you if I go and if I send my spirit. Now, in we read that and we go, yeah, I agree with that. But in practicality, do you believe that in your heart? Or do you just wish sometimes, you know, like the weird country song, Jesus, take the wheel. You just wish he was right there next to you by you. You know what he says? No, it's so much better than that. I've given you my spirit. I've given you my spirit. You don't, you, don't, you don't need me to be sitting next to you in the car. I'm, I'm in you in the car. He helps us honor Jesus. Here's the ways that he helps us. First off, the Holy Spirit, the Bible teaches, indwells believers. Loved ones, at the moment of conversion, the Holy Spirit indwells us. He takes up residence in our lives. Um, therefore, in the new covenant, God no longer dwells in the temple. In the old covenant, in the Old Testament, you, you saw... There, there was a high respect and understanding for the temple. But what happens after Jesus' work on the cross and the day of Pentecost? The Holy Spirit now comes and lives in us. Not in a place, but in us. When you trust Jesus Christ, every one of you, if you've trusted Jesus truly, you have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you. In you. Do you believe that? The Holy Spirit not only indwells us, 
So, so by the way, in the way that he indwells us, I guess we'll see some of this in these other ones, but, but that's the way we live the Christian life. Do you, do you want to know what it really looks like for somebody to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit? Look no farther than Jesus Christ. My understanding of Jesus' deity is this. He is fully God. He's been fully God. He's eternal. And he came and he added humanity to his deity. And when he added that humanity to his deity and came to live on the earth, born so vulnerable as a baby in a cave, he added that humanity to his deity and then, in a sense, veiled his deity and lived totally as a human, not tapping into his deity while he lived. He still had his deity. He still was fully God, but he never played the God card. He never pulled out the God card and said, I'm God, obey me. What did he do? Whenever you see Jesus' miracles, when you see what Jesus did and the way he understood things, almost always it mentions that it was by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus had no sin in his humanity. So the Holy Spirit moved and worked through and in him in perfection, just the way that he was designed to work in and through us as we repent of our sin and continually get rid of sin in our life. There was no clogged pipes for Jesus to see exactly what it would look like to be filled fully and completely and controlled fully and completely by the Holy Spirit of God. Look at the life of Jesus Christ. That's your model of being indwelt and filled by the Spirit. Not only does the Holy Spirit indwell us, but he illuminates believers the Holy Spirit illuminates believers. What illuminates? You, you do this daily. You pull out your phone, you hit the button, it comes on, and what does it do? It lights up, it illuminates. Why? So that you can see what's on the screen. The Holy Spirit illuminates believers in the same way in that the Holy Spirit we saw already, the Holy Spirit is the one who wrote Scripture. He illuminated and guided and, and bore along the writers of Scripture. He, he brought to their mind the words that they were to write, brought to their recollection the stories they were to write, brought to their, uh, to their minds the doctrine they were to record. The Holy Spirit did that. And the same Holy Spirit then illumines us to understand what he's written. Loved ones, when you sit down to read your Bible, I hope that before you do that, you're praying, Holy Spirit, help me understand. Because those are his words in front of you. He illuminates, he helps us understand. Uh, Third, the Holy Spirit guides believers. The Holy Spirit is our guide for how to live a life honoring to Jesus. Uh, There's a handful of examples, but Ephesians 5 uh, is 1, 518. Don't get drunk with wine or controlled by wine. That's debauchery. But be filled with, be controlled by the Spirit. Let the Spirit guide you. Let the Spirit guide your decisions. Now, he's always going to do that according to what? God's Word. If you're like, oh, the Holy Spirit told me to go and rob the convenience store because I'm short on cash. The Holy Spirit told me. I prayed about it. He told me. I don't think he did because the Holy Spirit also wrote, you shall not what? Steal. Why would he tell you to do something against what he already said? He wouldn't. When he guides you, you're wondering, is that the spirit or is it the pizza I ate last night? Look at the Bible and read. Does it line up with God's word? Then yeah, it's probably the spirit. Number four, the Holy Spirit equips believers. This is the gifting piece that we're getting into. The Holy Spirit gives gifts to God's children. He gives you spiritual gifts. He equips you to live the life that he's called you to live. 
for the manif- manifestation of gifts for the common good of the church, for God's glory, for others' good, for your joy. He equips you. He's not going to call you to anything that he wouldn't equip you for. Right? Because he loves you. And he equips you with gifts for service. We could say more about that, but that's what we'll be doing in the coming weeks. And then finally, the Holy Spirit empowers believers. These last two could kind of go together in many ways, but, but he empowers You see this in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit uh, frequently empowered people for special service. Joshua with with leadership skills and wisdom. The judges to deliver Israel from their oppressors. Saul to to arouse him to battle against enemies. He anointed David as king. He protected God's people and enabled them to overcome their enemies. Now, before I finish here, some people would say, well, I think I I might have been taught this even at one point, but... You know, the difference between New Testament and Old Testament is in the New Testament, the the Holy Spirit comes and lives within each of us. In the Old Testament, uh, the Holy Spirit didn't do that. He didn't really indwell people. Yet there's examples like Joshua and Micah and Ezekiel in the Old Testament, just to name a few, where the Holy Spirit does come and live and dwell within them, where they were filled with the Spirit. Now, the difference is, is that in the New Testament, after the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, is it's a different type of filling, It's a different measure of the Spirit given to us. It's in a different way, I believe, that the Holy Spirit now guides and equips and empowers and illuminates and indwells us. And in the New Testament, again, to see the, the, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit look no farther than Jesus Christ. He also empowered Jesus' disciples for ministry and We'll close with this. The Holy Spirit does all of this, loved ones, to help you honor Jesus Christ to help you honor Jesus in the church, in your life. And as we get into studying spiritual gifts, then it's it's important to understand who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit does. Because as we start to study spiritual gifts, what we're going to find out is, just like there's abuses of all kinds of other things, there's abuses of some spiritual gifts. Um, There's abuses where... Uh, you see uh, people doing and saying things in the name of the Spirit that uh, I don't see the Holy Spirit doing. I guess I'll just say it this way, and then when we get into the text, we'll talk about it more. But the Holy Spirit is God. He loves you as a child of God. He's not going to make you do stupid and idiotic things. Like bark like a dog or roll around on the ground. or Right? He's just not. God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace, Paul tells us in Corinthians. And and so what the Holy Spirit, when he works in us, now because of some of those abuses, many of us are just scared of the Spirit. I don't want to be labeled with them. But we need to step out of our fear and understand that the Holy Spirit is the person of God sent to indwell us, to equip us for ministry, to empower us. And there is so much he would long and love to do through you as you would seek him. If you haven't trusted Jesus Christ, I love you, but you don't have the spirit. Trust Jesus Christ so that the Holy Spirit would come and live in you so that you could receive these gifts as well. With that, let me pray. We'll take our offering. Um, We'll actually take communion as well and uh, call it a morning. Father, thank you for Jesus and thank you for your spirit. Thank you that when Jesus left, just as he promised, he didn't leave us as orphans, but he sent the Spirit to come and indwell us and to help us as our helper. 
And because of that, because of the, the Holy Spirit being fully God, being, being sent to, to fulfill your purpose, that, that we have fellowship, as Paul says, with the Holy Spirit. That as we celebrate communion now and our, our fellowship with Jesus and our fellowship with one another, that that includes fellowship with the Holy Spirit. So, Holy Spirit, I pray that, that as we take communion together this morning, that um, we would remember the work of Jesus on the cross, but we would also remember him sending you to be our helper, that we would understand the, the great power and uh, the great comfort we have in you and the, the great ways that you would desire to lead and direct and empower and equip us. Help us not to quench you or to grieve you, but to participate with you. Not that we would ever direct you, but that we would be directed by you. We love you. And we pray all this through Jesus, our Savior. Amen.